0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Ableton Music Producer podcast, Stan Giffen, as always. Today, we have a special guest who goes by the producer name Kill Paris. His name is Corey Baker. He is a multi-instrumentalist, a electro-funk producer. He's collaborated with a lot of artists that I really love, including Big Gigantic, Grizz, Grammatic, Dylan Francis, Alenium, Zedd. We could go on and on about his creds. He teaches at funthingsfunlife.com as an Ableton certified trainer, and he has a really cool Chihuahua. Today's episode's really great. We talk a lot about Kilparis' workflows using UAD plugins. We talk about side chaining, his favorite effects, how he uses them. He talks a lot about how to stay in a good headspace while producing, the whole mental aspect of being a creative producer, what that looks like for him. Before we jump into that, if you haven't hit that subscribe button or left a review wherever you're listening to the podcast, whether it's Apple podcast, wherever, please do that. It would really help me out. I'd really appreciate it. Also, if you want to be the first person to know when new episodes come out and get some new tips and tricks in Ableton Live, join the newsletter and go to liveproducersonline.com newsletter. Be happy to send you some stuff and I promise I won't spam you to the best of my ability. Also, if you're on Discord, join my private Discord group. Uh, go to LiveProducersOnline.com Discord. You'll be able to hang out with me. I'm sharing new tips and tricks producing an Ableton Live in there, and a lot of other producers are hanging out. So join us on the other side. We'd love to see you there. Also, if you don't own Ableton Live, I am a reseller, so I'd be happy to hook you up with a discount. Go to LiveProducersOnline.com slash BuyAbleton. Happy to hook you up. Also wanna give a huge shout out to our amazing sponsors making these episodes possible. So huge shout out to Audient. If you're in the market for buying a new audio interface, definitely check out Audient. They have become a key player within the recording world, boosting a competitive range of Studio Essentials. They have recently released their new generation of the popular iD audio interfaces, the iD4 and the iD14 MK2. They have really great Audient console mic preamps, pristine converters and offer incredible audio performance in a solid compact little box so check them out definitely go to audience.com slash amp podcast that's audience a u dot com slash a-m-p-podcast and it's definitely worth looking up if you haven't heard about melodics you guys definitely should check them out if you haven't joined there's a free trial it's a fun desktop app that you can download and gamify your practicing it's a great way to step up your skills practicing in the studio with a MIDI controller maybe you want to step up your scales or music theory finger drumming or if you're a drummer then plug in your electric drum kit and check out their large lesson variety where you can grow your skills producing and practicing and while having fun doing it because music should be fun so definitely check that out go to melodics.com you can save 20% off of their subscription which gives you access to a ton of more lessons and options so go to melodics.com sign up for the subscription save 20% with the discount code lpo-20 that's lpo-20 And save that money. So thanks to Melodics and Audient for sponsoring this episode. And without wasting any more time, let's jump into today's podcast with Kill Paris. How is Squirt doing? Squid, you mean? Or Squid, I'm sorry. Yeah, how's Squid, your dog? (laughs) Squirt, I just said that.
1: Uh, No, he's good. He's good. Um, Yeah, he's a little Chihuahua, right? Yeah, Chihuahua something. I think we're going to get a DNA test soon to figure out what... uh, what he really is because he's got some other stuff going on i don't know
0: yeah i find mixed breed dogs are like the best dogs sometimes like their genetics are great too they live longer typically yeah where did you get him
1: it was like this like sort of like rescue slash like farm that was out in um i think sheridan colorado which is about like half an hour 40 minutes from here kind of out in the in the boondocks um So we have a third dog now, so.
0: I feel like every studio needs some kind of pet, like whether it's like a dog, my friend Gardner has like a cockatoo that like sings with him while he makes music, Mm -hmm. you know, I've got a bunch of like stuffed animals around here. I don't really know why, but like having some kind of studio pet, I feel like it's essential.
1: Yeah. And I guess I'd never thought of this before, but it can be a good like way to force yourself to take breaks. Yeah, you know, also they're sometimes a distraction depending on what's going on.
0: That's true. Yeah, you don't want them to pee on the studio floor. That's, that's, no, that's
1: okay. It's <laughs> a good uh,
0: break, go yeah. on a walk. Cool, man. Well, for anybody listening right now, we're hanging out with Corey Baker, um, aka Kill Paris. If you aren't already familiar. Uh, Definitely check out his music, but Corey is a multi-instrumentalist. He's an electro-funk producer. He's also an Ableton certified trainer, shout out. um, And he's based in Denver, Colorado. His Kill Paris project has allowed him to tour and collaborate with a lot of established artists. A lot of my favorite artists as well, um, including Grizz, Illenium, Grammatic, Dylan Francis, uh, Zed, Big G, a lot of others. Um, But yeah, dude, thanks for joining the podcast. Good to have you.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: Absolutely. I love hanging out with other Ableton certified trainers. I feel like the Ableton family is like pretty small in that circle.
1: Yeah. It's a bunch of nerds too. Like super Ableton ninjas who are constantly like calculating chains and yeah. you know, like all kinds of weird stuff.
0: Yeah, for real. It's a black hole, man. I'm into it. The uh, Facebook group for certified trainers is is like my number one reason for being on Facebook too. Cause there's always stuff to learn. People are posting in there too. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, like for people who maybe don't know you, I'd love to learn a little bit more about how you got started making music. You just said that you're also from Indiana back in your roots, which is where I'm based right now in Indianapolis. But how did you get started in music and like, where did that lead you to the wonderful world of Ableton?
1: Yeah. Um, somewhere along the lines, when I was growing up, like when I was probably like 10 or 11, um I got really interested in the guitar and I think I got a guitar for like my would have been like my 15th birthday or something. I had this really crappy like harmony guitar that I got from JCPenney and that was like the only option. Like I saved up a bunch of money, which wasn't a bunch of money. It was like 50 bucks, but at the time um is a bunch of money. And I actually there's this really vivid memory actually because the guitar was so terrible. And I was like, man, I don't know if I want to do this. And my friend Brian at the time, he's like, no, dude, just like stick with it. And I was like, okay, like I'll keep it, whatever. And I think for my sixteenth birthday, my dad got me this. Um, it was like one of the Squire like starter guitars, you know, but it was off-white, like Jimi Hendrix's guitar and i like loved Jimi hendrix like growing up like that was like the guy like kind of got me into guitar um so started playing guitar uh played in some bands you know back then i had this crappy like i don't know it might have been windows xp at the time classic yeah and i had like a torrented version of acid pro And would like spend, you know, like two days of like connecting because it was dial up internet. So like Mm -hmm. uh, connecting to the internet and then trying to download like these, you know, like they were like acid loop packs. And I I don't know if that's what they called them. There was some like weird name for them but they were basically like sample packs of just like drums and stuff that I could like throw in and kind of like jam over. And I really had no way to record, but I was really interested in that stuff. Yeah, play guitar and bands throughout high school. And like my parents wanted me to go to college. And I was like, well, I don't want to go to college for like anything like stupid. Right. I want to go and like do music, like somehow. And yeah. at at that time there was like full sale was a thing. And I went and saw that campus, but they didn't offer like a bachelor's degree at the time. And my parents were like, You have to get a bachelor's degree if we're helping you out with college, like you have to get a bachelor's degree. So I went to this other school, which was in Tampa, and they had a bachelor's degree, and it was in uh, recording arts. I did that, but at that school, like, we learned Pro Tools and Cubase, um, like Reason version 3, Logic wasn't quite out yet, and they had no Ableton or anything. So I, like, learned Pro Tools and Cubase, and I hated both of them. (laughs) um i really enjoyed reason though because like reason was like you had access to all these like synths and sounds and it's it's kind of cool how it works how you can like patch things together Um, and i always found that really interesting um but then a friend of mine turned me on to ableton He was like dude you gotta check this out like a bunch of like djs and people are using this so i like checked that out and i like fell in love like instantly like my first memory was like pulling this like like pulling a piece of an imaging Heap song, and then this like very obscure band that only put out one album called Blast Furnace, and I think the album's actually on Spotify, and it's really great. It's like this weird like psychedelic like seventies rock stuff. But I like pulled a piece from that before before I even got into Ableton. For some reason, I bought Mixed in Key um, because. Oh, like yeah. The- Yeah, like one of the, like one of a paper we had to write for one of our music classes was like, you know, like come up with a business idea, you know, that would involve music. And I was like, oh, well, I could like DJ, but play like indie music, mix all this stuff. But I had no idea how to DJ and it wouldn't, like I wouldn't DJ for like two or three years like after that. But for some reason I bought mixed in key (laughs) at that time because I was like, this is so cool. Like I'm like, find out the key of all this music and then getting Ableton I was just like, wow, I can now mix, like make these like mashups of stuff. And I just found that like, so fascinating. So that kind of started the whole Ableton thing. I finished school, came out with like $80,000 of student loan debt. um, That's always fun. Oh, it was terrible. And I deferred that like as long as I could. I think it was like, it was like two years or something. And yeah, I was in a band during college um, and then kind of, picked up DJing a little bit. Like with Ableton, I had some really good, uh, friends who have been DJing like forever. So they kind of like showed me a few things. Um, and then at the same time getting into Ableton, but then when I got out of college, it was like, okay, either go to LA, New York, or like Nashville was like kind of a little bit of a scene. I was like, well, I, I don't want to go to New York yet. And I don't want to go to LA yet. Cause I don't feel like I'm ready. And I had some friends that lived in Nashville, so I was like, "Oh, I'll go to Nashville. Like that'll be great." And I lived in Nashville for, I think, like two years, like never had a real job. And how long ago
0: was this that you were doing that?
1: Um, I would have been in Nashville around two thousand nine ish okay, yeah, it's it's been a minute. It's been yeah. A um, but i played I played in like a few country groups um there like played bass because, like after a guitar, I got like a key, like this old Casio, like little keyboard piano thing. And like wanted to learn how to play keys. Moral of the story is that I basically got into like all these other instruments, like playing bass and keyboards and all that. Cause I'm kind of like my, my brain's a little crazy where I want to like learn how to do like a bunch of different things and not necessarily be good at any (laughs) particular thing. Same. but. Uh Ableton has kind of been that glue that has allowed me to actually, you know, like use what little talent I have in terms of like being an instrumentalist and actually piece Hmm. things together and have something to present. So, um, did gigs in Nashville, uh, never really got paid or anything. And then eventually like moved back in with my parents, uh, which was terrible, not (laughs) like terrible. That sounds like so harsh. Yeah, but living
0: with your parents is not everybody's dream. I mean, yeah,
1: (laughs) especially after like going to college, which is like all they wanted me to do, and then I like come back. I'm like, yeah, I don't still here. (laughs) Yeah, still here. I have no job. Like, know how to do things, but
0: yeah, yeah. I have a similar story. I did a very similar thing. Yeah, it's tough
1: because like the school that I went to was basically like engineering school. So like we learned how to like work with tape, learned all the studio stuff. But then when you get out of college, the quote-unquote job services that they have, like, you know, I got out of school and I was like, hey, like, you know, what jobs are there? And they're like, well, sorry, we don't really have anything. I was like, okay, great. Like, I wish I would have known this, like, before I started, could have bought a lot of gear with that money. Right. Yeah. Uh, So, but it was a good lesson of just, like, knowing that, like, if you want to, like, do something or have a specific job, it's like you got to kind of do it on your own. And you're no one's going to give you a break, like, unless you have something to show that like incentivizes mm-hmm. them to give you a break so to, to kind of wrap up the backstory moved back in with my parents um ended up getting a job at the warehouse in sweet at sweetwater which is based in fort wayne yeah, um, yeah. which is an amazing company to eventually get a job in the store because they do have a small storefront there mm-hmm. and then worked in the store for probably like six months and then i was just like i could stay here you know, have the 401k, like have health insurance, all that. Um, and I remember talking to one of the guys that I worked with there who he was, he must've been like in his forties at the time. And I was like, man, I don't know. I'm thinking about going to LA. And he just like looked at me with like the sternest eyes was like, do it. He's like, go, go now you're young, do it. Cause like, get out of here. And I was like, uh, okay, man. Like, uh, right. yeah. Okay. So then I ended up Um, Well, when I was living back with my parents, I ended up getting uh, certified uh, through Ableton um, because at that point I had just spent so much time with it and was like, I mean, it was an an obsession. Still is a little bit of an obsession.
0: What version did you get certified in?
1: I think it was seven or right when eight was coming out. Nice. Uh, So, yeah, I got certified and then moved to L.A., um, because I had a friend who lived out there who let me stay with them. Um, and they just like put up Craigslist ads to go do lessons. And the first person that I taught lessons to, I like, I mean, it was so weird because I basically offered like lessons. It was like 50 bucks an hour, but then I would drive to the person, which is like crazy in LA because it's just like <laughs> terrible to get around. And I had this old... Yeah. Like a 2000 Buick Regal that was like a hunk of junk that I drove all the way to LA, mind you. It's um, awesome, and you made it, so that's good. Yeah, and I made it. And the first person that I taught lessons to, he was like, "Yeah, he's like, you know, come over here." It's like my dad's studio, and I get to the place. Like, we go inside. Like, the main room of the studio is just like incredible. It's like beautiful. Like, looks like it was like built in the 70s. Just like pristine studio and nice. start teaching this guy um he's really really smart kid and probably like halfway through the lesson he was like yeah he's like you know who my dad is right I'm like no he's like well you know uh the song let's get it on by marvin gay like yeah <laughs> he's like you know that guitar at the beginning the wow 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 he's like that's my dad nice that yeah. was recorded i think he said that that was recorded in that studio i don't know but like that's cool. That just yeah, that just like blew my mind. So being in LA, it gave me like I was able to make enough money from doing lessons that I could spend time like working on music and yeah. doing finally like doing my own thing as opposed to like working for other people. And I just started putting stuff up on SoundCloud and eventually things started to happen. That's cool, man. You could have just started a moving company. You're probably really good at it by now. <laughs> Honestly. I do know how to I do know how to pack a van or a truck, I will tell you, you that. Got
0: it. I'm sure you're amazing at Tetris, I'm sure, or something yeah. like that. So, right now, um, you obviously have made a pretty strong staple in the electric, electro funk. Is that what you would maybe classify your genre, whatever a genre is anymore?
1: Funk, but, something, something. I'm happy with that.
0: Yeah, I'm all about the funk, but you've done some really cool stuff and great collabs with a lot of artists that I follow. And so, I'd love to pick your brain on like your music production process because I think you're really great at sound design. Like, your mixes are really clean. I love the style and the things that you're doing. Maybe we can just nerd out a little bit and talk about some of your process in the studio, what you do.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, first off, thank you. Um, Sort of like the secret sauce, um, and this ties into working at Sweetwater. So when I worked at Sweetwater, they for employees like there's a lot of perks for working there which is why a lot of people stay there and that was one of the hardest things to like leave is you get to like just check out so much gear there's like an actual gear library where you can like you know pull like two items and like keep them for a week that's and so that's nice like, that's it's so in- nice it's insane um so when i worked there i got one of the i think it was like the first uad satellite like firewire box Cause like before they were doing like the chips that you would actually like install in the old like Mac Pros, uh, but then they started doing these satellites. So I got one of those, and because I worked at Sweetwater, they gave us like if you bought one, you basically got an NFR for every single plugin, which basically means an NFR is like a not for resale. So like I mean I know you know what that means, but right. people might not know what that means. So basically, you get this license for all of their plugins, which is literally. 30 grand worth of plugins and the the best plugins ever made. Um, That's wild. And so they give you the NFR, like basically it's like a year NFR. And then at the end of the term, like if you're still working there, then they like re up it. So, like when I went out to LA, I still had, you know, maybe like half a year left on it. Um, And I feel like that's when my production really started to at least sound pretty good in terms of like the frequency spectrum getting the bass right and all that um, was just being able to use some of those UAD plugins but then the NFR ran out and I had emailed the company I was like hey like I don't really work there anymore but like is there anything we can do and they're like no nothing that we can do so then I had to start like buying the plugins Um, they told me
0: the same thing yeah yeah
1: sucks man I mean it, it sucks but also like the plugins are so good that I don't mind spending money on them because yeah. like it's stuff that I still use to this day. And in yeah. terms of like VSTs and plugins, like what I use is basically all it's like UAD, um, soothe ozone. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of it. Somehow yeah. here are in there.
0: Yeah. Uh, OX sound who makes Soothe, they sponsored the podcast a few times. It's a great company, man. Yeah. They're awesome.
1: That's like such a lifesaver. Really is. When I was finishing my last album, Galaxies Within Us, I got Soothe like when I was close to the end of it, um, of making the album. And one thing I've always struggled with is like getting the high end of a song to sound bright without Mm -hmm. being too much. And I feel like I kind of always overdo it. But since having Soothe, like that just helps so much to be able to yeah. Clean stuff up and make it not so whistly, you know?
0: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, things can get real piercing in that like 3K ish area, right? Sometimes, sort to 6K ish. And yeah, Soothe is awesome. That multi band dynamic EQ, whatever you want to call it, uh, mm-hmm. the thing's really, really cool. There's a lot of toys out there as far as like producing music anymore. You know, I love using, before Soothe, I was using uh, like a Fab Filter ds uh, other pro ds to kind of use some of that dsing and that brighter frequency range to kind of tame some of that harshness but now soothe is just kind of my thing like
1: yeah i mean you just throw it on there and just like mess with the big knob and yeah it's better. feels like cheating but i'm into it it works it does
0: yeah yeah Let's talk a little bit some of other toys you're using um, as far as producing, and uh, I don't know if you got the questions I sent over earlier. Um, maybe we can fire through some of your favorite tools and some of your favorite toys using Ableton Live and plugins, and like yeah. just kind of go through a couple categories and just maybe talk about some of the ways you're using them. Sure. Awesome.
1: So as far as like your delay
0: and reverb, what are like your main go tos?
1: Um, reverb the Lexicon 224 by UAD or the Mm. the emt 250 which i don't use the 250 as much now because it's a very it's good for certain things but i've been using the emt 140 a lot more which is like a plate you know reverb and i feel like that it's it's a lot softer um it sounds really good on drums too um as far as delay um sometimes like the what is it the ep 33 by uad which is like a tape delay that's pretty great Ableton's built-in, the echo effect, though, in Ableton, I feel like I use that, like, a lot mm-hmm. uh, if I just want, like, a simple um, delay because that sounds pretty good and it's, you know, super, super, super easy to use.
0: Oh, yeah. Do you play much with, like, the modulation tab in that as well? Uh, I love that. It's my favorite thing.
1: Yeah, I just stumbled upon the... There's one of the presets in there that's called a bit tipsy. The oh, okay. like does some pretty cool like it's a very it's a very like uh intense delay but it's really nice like on a like a return channel and kind of turned down to like throw some stuff to. and there's a lot of modulation happening on it so just turning some of that stuff down adds uh a really nice delay
0: awesome yeah i'll have to try that preset what about as far as so that was talking a little bit about reverbs um and the little delay any other delays that you've used
1: You should know that the, at the tail end of last year or kind of, well, I guess like the middle of last year, um, I got bit by the modular bug. Um, Mm, I saw that on your socials. Yeah. That's kind of been my life for the last year. So speaking of delays, um, Strymon makes this thing called the Magneto, which is like a forehead tape delay that is just like insane. Um, it's a great regular delay, but there's like this shift mode on it, which basically pitches all four of the tape heads um Ooh. into a key and you can like set that to be whatever, which really adds some like it just it does some like crazy stuff. And it's a digital device too, but you wouldn't you wouldn't think it. Like it sounds amazing. There's a spring reverb built into it. And you oh, can wow. do some like tape emulation stuff on it too, because it has like a wow and flutter and like a tape degradation, dead uh, knob on it. But that, yeah, that thing's super, super fun. That sounds awesome.
0: Is, uh, is this what it looks like? Is it this yeah. thing right here? That's it. Yeah. No, man, the modular bug has been slowly biting me recently too. And I'm just like, there's so many great synthesis tools I use in the box, but there could be a, a debate for hours about analog versus digital emulations. But Dude, it's just, for me, analog, it's just always going to be its own thing. It always sounds different to me. Just that rich
1: fatness. I mean, the biggest thing for me, like, outside of, like, sound quality, is just the the act of touching a knob and it doing something is, like, so great. Like, that's just such a good feeling. Um. Mm -hmm. And I think too, I think what modular can give you is like, and I talking to like with my students and everything, cause I teach Ableton, um, as well. And like, I feel like a lot of people with our, just the way modern production, um, happens nowadays. And like with all the sample packs and everything, I feel like people struggle finding their own identity in music because so many people are just using like splice loops and whatnot. And like at the end of the day, if you're just dragging in splice loops and then bouncing out a song, it's like, you're not going to feel that great about it. Like that proud. Yeah. Like, like deep down. So I think with, totally. with modular and like outboard stuff, it can actually give you like a true sense of identity. Like when you make a sound or something, it's like, this is mm-hmm. like, nobody has made this sound. Like it might sound similar to some things, but you like made this sound and it's kind of like working in the woodshed or something of like, making a sculpture like you're actually physically doing things. Yeah. Um, and there's no undo button, which I think is a beautiful thing. Like the only mm-hmm. undo button is like ripping out all the cables, starting over. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is great too. Like that's a super yeah. super satisfying thing like after building a big patch and yeah, recording it, then just like pulling out all those cables and be like, "Well, if I didn't write it down on how I got that sound, like it's gone mm-hmm. forever."
0: Yeah, exactly. And do you ever save, like, say you come up with a really dope sound, you're like, I never want to lose this. Do you ever just like record a long clip of that, and then put it in a sampler to save later in in your presets?
1: Um, I did that when I first got into, like, when I first started getting modules, because like every sound that I was like making just felt like so spiritual. And I was like, oh, I'm going to record all this. But then... Mm -hmm. It gets to a point where it's like, you can record whatever, 10 minutes of a patch, but then it's like, well, what are you going to do with it? Like, are you going to chop it up? Like, and when are you going to spend the time doing that? And for me, I just, I don't know. I try to work so in the moment that I don't want to go like back to things. Like I'd rather, if I have a cool sound going, I'll record it in. And especially now with uh, Ableton 11's take lanes, like it's such a game changer because you can just have one patch, set a small loop and then do, you know, a bunch of like modulation changes and then sort of clip that together to make like a new little sequence or, you know, a new little loop. Um, So I try to, I don't know, I just try to make it useful because it's like if I'm just recording, you know, like 15 minutes of something... Like either that has to be the song and that's how it is, or I'm going to have to go back and like cut up all this stuff, figure out how to like repurpose it Mm -hmm. or save it for later, which then, I don't know, doesn't always work for me. So I just try to record on the spot, get the sound out and then make something out of it. Cause that's when I got into the modular, I was kind of at a crossroads with Ableton where I was like, "Ah, I'm so sick of like using the computer and like doing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm going to do everything in modular. And a very sp- specific thing happened. I got a, so I think it's from Tip Top Audio. They make a 909 kick module. I was like, all right, I got my kick. Like, I'm good. I'm going to be, I'll be fine. I'll be able to do all this in modular. And then once I got that module in, I was like, oh, like I'm stuck with the same kick drum <laughs> like for everything. And like, that's yeah. not. That's just like not how it works. So it took me a long time to like figure out. It's like, okay, certain things are going to be way better to do in modular. And then certain things are going to be way better to do like in the box. And the stuff in the box usually comes down to like editing or like actually arranging and like doing like the entire song. Um, So I feel like I'm in a good place now where I'm able to kind of use best of both worlds and it's allowed me to finish a lot more things because like i'm not again without having that undo function um in terms of audio you know you record it in Mm -hmm. and either you use it or you delete it Mm -hmm.
0: um yeah yeah i find like with my students and even myself sometimes having commitment issues as a producer is like a real struggle (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you know it really is like well if i freeze and flatten it there it is, you know, or if I'm using modular and I just recorded that sound, there it is, you know, but that's, like you were saying, That's you probably just force yourself to commit and, like, doing more of the workflow you just mentioned to keep moving forward to actually finish something and move on.
1: Yeah, the way I describe it to people is, like, you look at Ableton or any, you know, even Pro Tools, anything like that, any uh, digital audio workstation that we have nowadays, and it's essentially... It's kind of like being stranded out in the middle of the ocean because you have all these options, limitless opportunities to do whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you're stranded out in the middle of the ocean, you have no idea which way to go because you can't see land or anything. So I try to like tell people, it's like, you basically need to build your sandbox and you need to build something with walls that's going to keep you limited in a way to be able to finish things and you i mean the sandbox is yours you can build it however you want but you need to you know put limitations on yourself so you can actually finish something otherwise you're you're going to drown like you're just going to be
0: stuck you're going to be hitting
1: the undo you're going to be switching serum patches and you're never going to finish anything so it kind of takes like Well, it kind of takes a lot of self-will to actually put limitations on yourself with the mass of tools and sounds that we have. But if Mm -hmm. you can do that, it'll make it like a lot easier to finish things.
0: Yeah. Makes sense. That like whole analysis paralysis mentality. Mm -hmm. You just keep too many options, information overload, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Struggles can be real. That's why maybe not everybody's a producer. It's a lot of hard work, really to get to the places, especially as long as you've been doing it.
1: And it's mostly mental too. I mean, even Mm -hmm. with my students, that's what I find. It's like, you, you kind of have to like wrangle your own like ego and also your own energy and get out of your own way, because that's the only thing that's holding anybody back. Mm -hmm. And like, once you figure that out and can figure out how to like work with your own personality to like get the most out of what you're good at, then you know you'll be golden, but it's like you kind of have to hit that wall a few times to uh to overcome it,
0: yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of vulnerability in that too, like mm-hmm. when you create something, you just release it in the social world, all your friends and people to judge it, you yeah, know, starting out, that's really hard for a lot of people,
1: yeah and i I like to tell people too that like because especially younger people now it's like with how crazy social media is like everybody's thinking about like when the song is released and like that that's going to be like when you get the payoff or like the satisfaction of doing something. And I try to steer people in the way of like, like, no, like the act of you making the song, like when you're making the song, like that's going to be the best time with that track. Like, I mean, you might get shows like afterwards and it might be a lot of, of amazing things happen, Afterwards, but if you're focused on that stuff while you're working on the song, then you're not paying attention to what you're actually doing. And I think that that's the real magic part of like when you're making something mm-hmm. and creating something. it's like you need to be like conscious when that's happening, because that's I mean, that's it. Like, that's like the most beautiful thing about making music is like you're creating this sonic world and you yeah. need to be able to enjoy that part. And if you enjoy that part, other people are going to hear that. Yeah. Hear that in the music, and that's, you don't need to worry about everything that happens after that because it's most of that stuff's out of your control, anyways.
0: That's really good wisdom. That's very true. I find, you know, forcing myself to be more present in the moment while I'm creating and enjoying that process. People definitely sense the vibe Mm -hmm. after, you know, in the final product that I'm putting out into the world, you know, at a show or whatever that you're having in that moment.
1: Yeah. I've always felt like, and I I don't have proof for this, but I feel like there's, like when you're making a song, it's almost like you're, you're almost like recording, like the feeling that you have, like while you're doing it. And that's like this sort of like underlying thing that like when someone listens to the song, if somebody is like, whatever you want to talk about, tuning into like certain frequencies or something of like the spiritual world or whatever, like it connects with people who like, yeah, like understand, even if they don't understand on a conscious level, more like an unconscious level, but I feel like there's something being like transcoded into music, like while you're doing it, that then the listener can feel whether they're aware of it or not.
0: Yeah. Like even from a physiological standpoint too, like if you're standing in front of a subwoofer at a giant show, and you got all that air just blowing at you, all those frequencies. And you're like, man, I felt that music. Well, you like physiologically did. Like your your cells are like moving, like your body, physical makeup is being altered in that moment. You know, if you break down like the smallest forms of our bodies, a lot of it is condensed sound waves. Mm-hmm. So that's it's an interesting boring. thought. Was, yeah.
1: Yeah, we think it's, it's kind of along the lines of like resonance then, because like you're literally, your body is resonating, like literally like mm-hmm. resonating, which is basically where you have a frequency, you know, that is like, like even today we are at a uh, Goodwill and we had this, we bought this like flower pot and I was like holding it up to my ear and then like making sound and you could hear like when you hit certain frequencies, it would like resonate in the bowl and it would be like louder so i think that that happens almost like on a subconscious level with certain songs where it's like you just like feel it and it just like hits your body in the right way and your body like physically resonates with that sound or that song
0: yeah i'm not a scientist but that thought just blows my mind like it's pretty cool um well, like maybe we could finish a couple of these other go-to plugins and devices. Like that was, I could talk literally about that all day, though. Just like yeah. the whole mental side of producing, because I feel like that's so important. And even like you said, a lot of times it's overlooked. You know, people when they start producing music, it's all these expectations of I'm just going to be able to do all these things. Analysis paralysis kicks in. You can get discouraged. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have to fail to be successful.
1: Really. So I say it's a necessity to fail to be successful because if you're not failing you're not really you're not moving forward most likely because like you don't really know what you need to do to do what you want to do so with that like you need to fail along the way and usually I, i like to talk to people about like if they regret anything because my perspective on like regretting anything is like Like, I'll decide if I regret anything, like, when I'm dead. Because until then, I can't see the full picture of what's happened. Because I can't tell you how many times something terrible has happened to me, which has then influenced me to take another direction or get to something else that, like... It all makes sense, like, at the end of the day, you know? Like, with enough time, like, you know, you have enough time to, like, retrospect on things. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That's something that, yeah, like... I think with how, with how public everybody's lives are with social media, it's like, people don't want to fail, but you have to. And if you're not afraid of that, then nothing's going to stop you from doing what you need to do because like, you're not going to stop.
0: Yeah. Like,
1: some people fail and they stop and that's it. But like, you can always keep going.
0: Yeah. Yeah no i've failed many times and hopefully it's not on stage (laughs)
1: because that's happened before that can be fun though too because it could be a memory for people in the crowd and they're like oh yeah i remember that time remember like that shit like fucked up and then yeah back and it was awesome man yeah just never know
0: that's true and how i think how you react is is a big part of that too like if it does happen on stage people are just watching it's like oh no is he gonna is he going to be upset and pissed or like, is he just going to laugh it off and move on? You know, that setting that vibe for that audience too. Yeah.
1: Just to tie up on that. One of my, uh, one of my students, we've been talking a lot about DJing recently and I've been kind of just showing her some like tricks and like mixing techniques. Um, and yesterday I was telling her, I'm like, you know, this is something that no other DJ is probably going to tell you, but there's something to be said about pretending like something is fucked up on stage and like just cutting the music and like acting like you don't know what's going on. You <laughs> let the crowd kind of get riled up and then you bring the music back. Like that is a very powerful, like DJ tool to that's use. Awesome. On stage to like get, I mean, I've done that a couple times before just like, because I it's happened so many times where it's not been planned. Yeah. And if you get the music back on, like people are so stoked.
0: Yeah. That's funny. That's hilarious. Especially if it's in, like, I guess a smaller venue where people can really see your reaction in that moment. Mm -hmm. That, yeah, that, that'd be hilarious. Definitely keeps people's attention.
1: Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you need to do that. Sometimes you need to, like, clear the palate. Yeah. Just pop everything, be like, I don't know what's going on. It's like, oh, shit. That's right. I turned the volume down. Woo.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Probably my most embarrassing moment on stage was uh, when I, threw a drumstick into the crowd, but not like any sane drummer would normally just softly toss it. Like I threw it really hard because I was so excited and there was a big crowd. It was a lot of energy. My first big show years ago, hit some girl in the face. (laughs) She just went down, dude. (laughs) She just flopped, like just fell right over and all of her girly friends around her were like, oh my God, like. How did you do that? Yeah, and the bass player just stopped playing for like five seconds and just like looks at me like, what did you just do <laughs> it was not my proudest moment but it was a great memory now and they like yeah. the band and the manager afterwards like dude you're going to be touring through some ohio someday you're going to stop to get snacks and that girl's going to find you and she's going to come up and just like punch you in the face <laughs> so, it was you she uh, an, an eye patch or something no
1: yeah <laughs> i was thinking yesterday when i was talking to my student about she was asking me about like my favorite shows that I've played and whatnot. And I was like, you know, it tends to be that the worst shows and the worst experiences are the most memorable. Yeah, And it's like, I could think of a thousand like horrible shows or horrible things that happened, but like a really good show, like I know I've played them, but it's like, they're just not as memorable. And that's yeah. like kind of a weird thing about doing music or doing any sort of like performance is that the, Memories tend to be like the really terrible things, but eventually again, with enough time, like you can really laugh at that stuff and it becomes like, I don't know, it becomes some of, some of my favorite memories, honestly. Yeah. the worst things that ever happened.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When you're playing enough shows like that, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Also, I apologize if you hear that really loud sound, it's just a bunch of geese outside my place screaming. This happens every episode. There's think- so many, so many of them. I'm outnumbered here. Uh. <laughs> yeah it's it's a crazy thing i'm actually releasing a goose sample pack soon i was talking to Kafressi and jonathan stein about that in the recent episode so i'll, I'll send you the pack when it's done too if you want it yeah and we said hear that goose step yeah the, some goose step <laughs> yeah that's great Hey, you wanted to take this time real quick to remind you to check out Audience interfaces. Um, I mentioned earlier their ID14MK2 uh, and the ID4. Um, they deliver a lot of really awesome studio recordings with their Audient console mic preamps. They have really great converters. If you're in the market for getting a new audio interface, definitely check out Audient. Just go to audient.com, A-U-D-I-E-N-T.com slash A-M-P podcast and look them up. Also, big thanks to Melodics for supporting this episode as well. They make that really cool desktop app. It's a great way to grow your skills, plug in almost any MIDI controller. It's great for finger drumming and playing scales on the push, as well as my MIDI keyboard. I also play drums. They have an electronic drum kit, lesson variety, so you can grow your skills that way as well. Check that out. Go to Melodics.com, M-E-L-O-D-I-C-S.com, and Use the discount code LPO-20 to save 20% or check out the free trial. And back to today's episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. Let's maybe go back to some of the Ableton's devices and plugins and stuff. We can maybe nerd out on that if you're cool with it. Yeah. Um, As far as like mixing tools, maybe compressors, EQs, what are maybe some of your go-tos or workflows?
1: Hmm. Um as far as workflow people have probably heard me talk about this before but in terms of like sidechain compression because i feel like there's a lot of debate on how to sidechain properly whatnot um but what i do is i have a ghost sidechain channel that has a 707 kick sample which is like one of the samples that came with like ableton 7 or something it's like been in ableton forever yeah um and that sample is always my ghost sidechain sample. And it's been the same sample for 10 plus years. Um, and the reason I do that, as opposed to sidechain into the actual kick drum or using a different sample every time, is that if you know what sample you're sidechaining to, and if you know it really well, then the compressor settings, like like I can basically gauge, depending on what tempo I'm at, like what the release time needs to be, Without even like listening to it, because mm-hmm. I've been using the same sample, um, which is nice. And then I sidechain on every group and then on return channels as well, as opposed to doing it all on one. Like, cause I know some people do that too, where it's like you'll group all your synths and everything, the bass in one big group, and then just do one sidechain compressor on that. But I like to do it sort of in little bits, like on, you know, the bass will have one sidechain compressor, it's like the synths have one and then just do slightly different settings on each one of those side chain compressors to sort of like, I mean, I think in certain music it, it's probably good to just have like one, like if you're trying to really like accentuate like the transients of your kick drum and like you want it to be very like kind of robotic, but I like to kind of smooth out some of those, like some of the ducking, you know, if you will. Yeah. Um. So that's like a big thing in terms of like compressors, um, one thing that I do, and I've been doing this for a long time is like, I use the, the UAD FATSO junior and I oh, put, yeah. Love put it. that on a return channel. It's like the settings are cranked pretty high up, have a high pass filter before it sidechain compressor after it. And I basically send everything in the mix to that and then turn the volume of that return channel down a mm-hmm. little bit. And it kind of just, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, like parallel compression, or parallel saturation, um, and can I find you send everything to that. Just about everything, okay. And just kind of bring that up into the mix, where like when you turn it off, you can tell that something's not there. But when you turn it on, it's not like you don't have this huge volume spike. But that helps, to me at least. That helps bring out some of like the mid, the mid-high frequencies, and sort of allows you to get some of this saturation. Um, and kind of fill up the mix without having to like soak something and yeah, in saturation and whatnot.
0: Yeah, I know a lot of bass producers like Ahi and Skrillex and those those dudes do some similar things with some like crazy parallel limiting on multiple groups or sending it to return tracks like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, because it, it's nice because it gives you another layer of what you already have. With like a little bit of a different flavor, and it might be more distorted, but then you're still hearing the the dry signal. Yeah. And that sounds fine and everything. And then especially if you're side chaining it, um, you don't it's like one of those things you don't hear, but then if you turn it off, you notice that it's not there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great tip, man. That's a good trick. And I'm sure everybody listening right now is writing that down as well if they haven't been doing anything
1: like that. Just get the UAD stuff. That's it.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's a great trick. Yeah, no, they make great plugins, UAD fam. Um, yeah, I love their plugins. So as far as other like maybe actual specific devices, what are you
1: mentioned the Fatso Junior? Yeah, that's I use that on a lot of stuff. The uh, actually the Moog filter um, as well. I'll use that on quite a bit of stuff because it cuts off at like twelve k which is kind of nice just to roll off the top end of some stuff. And then the drive on that thing is just like incredible. Mm. So Just to like, instead of compressing something, I'll just maybe throw that on, turn up a little bit of the drive.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause saturation, like, and this is something I really just learned more of like on a deeper level the last couple of years, but like saturation essentially is compressing a sound. Mm -hmm. If you're, if you're saturating something, you're distorting it. You're like really bringing those frequencies. Like you're, distorting them you're bringing them more at a unison level yeah
1: yeah you're kind of like crispening them yeah you know it's sort of like toasting your bread yeah like yeah putting this nice little you know you're just making it better like yeah. usually, usually if you're doing saturation the right way it's like you're just making what's there
0: yeah. you know, better um Some really good crispy toast and like the filters like the butter on top you just kind of smooths it out
1: Yeah, smooths it out. Yeah. Like, you still have the crunch, but then you still get, like, the... uh, The flavor of the filter. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. It's nice. You know, another thing I do as far as, like, sub bass um, is use what used to be called the hip-hop sub, now enabled. and It's called the... What is it? The simple... Sign.
0: Sign. The sign sub? Simple sign sub, I think. I believe that's right. I just played with it the other day. I should know this.
1: Yeah, so I tend to use that you know, especially more like electronic stuff. I've been recording a lot of live bass recently, so I haven't been using it, um, as much, but I'll use that because using the same thing, like, especially for like, like my sidechain compressor trigger or like the sub bass, like these sort of like boring things that are never like the star of the show, like using the same thing then allows me to like dial it in, The way it needs to be and have consistency across several mixes yeah um especially with subs like you know i had when i was using serum like i would try to use like the direct sub out and like could never get it to sound like as good as just using like the the hip-hop sub so
0: yeah what maybe you can talk about if you don't mind some of the ways you treat that sub
1: yeah, well, that was um, what I was going to say is that another plugin that I use quite a bit, especially with live bass um, now because it helps, but it's the Little Labs Voice of God from you. Oh,
0: yeah, dude. That so thing. so <laughs> fat, dude. And it's two little knobs. Two little yeah. knobs. It's so perfect. F- it's crazy. It's perfect. Think, and I use that and I dial it in on my sub bass and I can really feel it. I mean, you can't really hear true sub you know like you don't really hear down there so being able to dial in the vog on a sub pack dude it's game over i forget about it forget about
1: it yeah so that's um that's really great another like a built-in plugin that i love is the drum bus in ableton which i find is just yes so useful that's usually on all my drum groups but then i'll Sometimes I use that on like more like plucky bases because you have like the little transient designer built into it. Yeah. Um, which is really great for that. I mean, it's got a pretty good saturator in it. And then also just being able to kind of crush the signal and then turn that filter because it has like the, the low pass filter that goes up to like 20K. that You kind of like bring that down to mm-hmm. sort of dial in some of those higher frequencies as you like kind of hyper saturate it. Uh, but that's a really fun, like, built in plugin that I feel like is so great.
0: Yeah. And a lot of the tracks you produce, I mean, like I said, your mixes sound great, man. And uh, what are some, I guess, additional ways that you treat, like, maybe the top end of your bass? Like, I've played with, like, using, like, a vocoder just to kind of get that, like, harmonic tone out of the top of the bass, you know, which is funny because, like, bass music is a genre, right? But, like, it's really not just the bass. It's like, the actual tonality overtones you're bringing out of that bass sound that people actually hear and love
1: Um, yeah um i mean one thing that i tend to do this isn't just related to treating like bass stuff but basically i'll high pass everything that's not the kick drum and the sub bass like to some level cutting out the low end and this is one thing like, if you're using a lot of splice loops, specifically, like, hi-hats and claps and stuff, for some reason, there's so much frickin' garbage yeah, Like yeah. in the low end. So, like, in my template, I think every single channel, like, has an EQ8 that's, like, cutting out at, like, 200 or 250 hertz. Um. So, I do a lot of that. And then, to go back to the Moog filter, like, a lot of times that will be at least on base stuff that could be like at the end of the chain. And then I have like an EQ um, and like kind of, cause if you're saturating stuff again, or distorting stuff, like it's bringing every, all that information like up and crunching it. So I like to either just EQ before that and sort of cut out some of like the peaks. So then you can kind of get more out of, kind of distort it more because you're kind of leveling out frequencies before it gets to that so i'll do that but then also using like ableton's built-in multi-band compressor and the beautiful thing about that the the multi-band compressor is you have that dry wet knob and so sometimes i'll line up like five multi-band compressors or i even have a rack where it's like five or ten multi-band compressors and then you just turn down the dry and wet to where you're able to get enough of that again that's like parallel compression right so you're getting the dry signal, but then you're kind of saturating and sort of like ott stuff, but you're not like doing it all in one fail swoop, like you're kind of just dialing it in to where you get the best of both worlds
0: yeah, definitely that ott life yeah it's you know it's a good preset or a great device when you have other companies making plugins after after yeah. that preset
1: yeah, um that and then. Another thing, I feel like not a lot of people use any sort of like flanging in their music, but I love specifically, again, the UAD MXR flanger, um, which yeah. changed when I heard it because I was like, "Oh, this is what like a flanger is supposed to sound like. I always thought flangers sounded like shit. But having that, and then with any top end stuff, like even some sense, I'll have that, but just like turn the dry and wet like way down so you get a little bit. Of modulation. And then, specifically with like hi hat loops or any sort of loop thing, I'll usually have a flanger on it. And again, turn the dry and wet down because, like, if you're having something that is repeating and it's kind of stagnant, like your brain wants some sort of change or modulation. And with just a little bit of flanger, you can get that to where it like changes the sound. It's not necessarily noticeable, but if it's not there, it's noticeable.
0: Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. I started playing with that flanger in demo mode like I don't know a couple months ago and I was like, damn, I need to use this more often. It's and then I simple. never I never did. <laughs> but I need to.
1: Yeah, it's cr- that in the um the C E one, which is like the Roland slash boss chorus. It's like a chorus. Oh, yeah. in that's that's pretty nice too. Um, especially I might put that on like some if I have something that's like in mono, but I want it to like Again, just have a little bit of like modulation, so it's not so stagnant.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the the chorus flanger, I've really fallen in love with that with Live Eleven as well because they married the chorus and the flanger together. Mm -hmm. I think that thing has some really cool results.
1: Yeah, and the um, what is like the spectral resonator? Not the resonator, but the other spectral one. Um, Reverb. Where is that? It might be the resonator.
0: There is the. Spectral resonator. Uh, there's spectral blur and spectral time.
1: The spectral time. That's, yeah, I've been playing around with
0: that a little bit too, and that's really cool. I haven't played with that a whole lot. Um, what What have you used it for?
1: Um, I was was working on this like sort of dark techno-ish like thing, and I recorded some like weird like pitch down like vocals, and then I used that the spectral time to because it's kind of like a reverb delay sort of which it might i don't know if it's doing something like granular or something like that but um but using that on the vocals and kind of using that to like like pumping up the dry and wet as it was getting close to like the drop and then messing with like the time and the feedback to kind of create like a basically like a riser yeah you know, out of like the
0: vocals that's really cool yeah, I'm going to have to mess with that some more spectral time. Sounds dope. Yeah. Well, cool, man. That's a good insight into some of your effects and things. Knowing that you've been in the game for a long time, playing a lot of shows. Uh, by the way, I just saw like tickets were sold out for Red Rocks, I think.
1: Yeah, like sold out in like two
0: minutes. Yeah, dude. Congrats. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. That's huge. I you. love Red Rocks. It's one of my favorite venues for sure. The place is amazing. And you've played there once or twice before.
1: I think this will be my fifth or sixth. Oh, is it really? Oh, yeah. I didn't realize it was that many. Insane. I don't know. That's cool. Why that's
0: a thing, but that's dope, man. Yeah, I'll try to make it if I can. I love Denver. But anyway, yeah. So I guess knowing you've been doing this for a while, if you could give yourself advice as a producer wanting to make a full-time music career, say five or six years ago, even like, what advice would you time travel to tell yourself?
1: Um I would th- maybe the best advice would be like to to know that you're just going to keep going and that there's no like proverbial finish line and to enjoy the process which sounds so cliche but I feel like it's so true because yeah. like that's at the end of the day that's kind of all you have is like the process of like making the music and then whatever happens again like whatever happens after that is kind of out of your control mm-hmm. You know, a big insight that I had at the end of last year, which is what led me into getting into modular is like, cause I was like really just kind of frustrated with my workflow. And I was like, man, I don't know if I want to do music anymore. Um, But then I had this, like this, like light bulb went off that where I was like, however I'm choosing to make music, whatever the workflow is, however I'm doing it, whatever I'm doing it with is just one way to make music. And there's literally like infinite numbers of ways to like approach music and to make it, especially with all the tools um, that we have. So to keep that in mind, that it's like you don't need to just be doing the same thing over and over in terms of your workflow. Like there's other ways, you know, to do it and to incorporate different things into it. And then other than that, um, I quit drinking, which will be, it will be two years in October. Um, And that's been a pretty good, mood stabilizer because i kind of like Mm -hmm. most people who are in the music industry kind of just struggle with depression and whatnot it's like to throw alcohol on that is like kind of the worst idea ever yeah It it took me a long time to figure that out yeah but i'd say the most important thing is to i mean this sounds weird but like to get sunlight like that's been the biggest part of my journey in the last like five years and that's part of why I had moved back to Florida um, because, you, like, the vitamin D there is, like, insane. Like, basically, the closer you get to the equator, the more vitamin D you're able to um, sort of generate uh, because, like, as you know, like, up the there's a certain latitude that, like, once you go above it, like, there's basically no... The the sun doesn't get over the uh, atmosphere high enough or something. I sound like an idiot as I'm saying this. No, it's cool. I'm not not a scientist, but basically the sun doesn't get up high enough to where you can like generate vitamin D because it comes from like UVA or UVB um, light. So like the last five years, I've been making it a point to get outside every day and then also just seeing the sunrise every morning, like being outside Getting that morning sun like in your eyes um, has made such a huge improvement on my life and my health and well being. And I think the way that I've come to think about like light's role in life is that it's essentially the metronome. And then if your body is not in time with the metronome, then you have to do all this stuff to sort of try to keep things together to keep your health in order, where it's like the. You know, the sun has been around since the beginning of time and up until like 150 years ago, we had no artificial light. And now that we're in an artificial, artificially lit world, like, you know, people hear about like the, you know, how blue screens are like bad for your, your health and all that stuff. It's like, it goes so much deeper than what you hear in the news, because essentially, just to kind of give the little bit of science that I do know is that essentially what's happening... Like the reason why getting sunlight in the morning is so good, because that's when there's like a concentrated, there's a lot of blue light in the sunrise. And what that's doing is that's telling your body, okay, it's time to make melatonin because you actually make melatonin throughout the day. And then once there's the absence of light, then you actually start to like that, you secrete that melatonin and then that's what helps you fall asleep. So if you're looking at a blue screen, like in the, you know, at night, like before you go to bed, any, your phone, anything that's telling your body, okay, it's 12 o'clock. Like it's noon, like we need to be up. And that's why so many people have trouble sleeping. And especially being a musician, it's like, you're out late, you're around a bunch of artificial light. You probably never see the sunrise. If you're outside, you're probably wearing sunglasses or like have your skin covered up. And it's just not. It's not good.
0: No, that's true, man. It looks like you have a good amount of sunlight in your room right now. It looks nice. I see some plants. I think you're doing it right. Yeah. um, But you're right, though. Like, I've experienced that for myself. Like, all that blue light can mess up your sleep cycle, your REM cycle, I guess, as well. But yeah, I read about that as well. It's really interesting. And a lot of people in studios, they all kind of live in bat caves. I feel like a lot of people do. (laughs) Well, the other
1: thing, too, like, you know, even just like light bulbs. Like it's so hard to get light bulbs that aren't LED now, and if you, mm. a good a good little like trick is if you want to find out if like a light is good or not, like if you have an LED light, just like turn on the light and then you know use like the slow mo video recording um, like feature on your phone, and usually if it's not that great of a light bulb, you'll see a flicker. So basically you're in a strobe light then because that's leds it's light emitting diodes so basically it flashes like however many cycles like a second um so it's hard i mean that's why so many people now are like using like edison bulbs um like the old school wait because there's no flicker um but then also you can't see in the studio but i have these red infrared lights that i use like if i am in the studio after the sun goes down which happens very rarely like i tend to work In the morning or throughout the day and then kind of shut it down like around five or six
0: okay Um,
1: but if you use red light after the sun goes down that doesn't trigger your melatonin or anything so it's like you can be around red light because that's what fire essentially is like a fire is mostly red light so it doesn't trigger that melatonin and disrupt your circadian rhythm
0: that's so interesting i have like a a changing revolving light system in here too so you're saying red light in the evening it's ideal Mm -hmm. That's yeah, good to know. I mean, I'm going to do that now. Cause I'm a nighttime producer kind of guy. So yeah, that's good to know.
1: I used to be too. And like, I used to never be able to sleep. I used to stay up to like four in the morning, but now like I wake up five thirty, six in the morning, yeah. make coffee, like go outside. And then I'm literally in bed by like nine or nine thirty. Yeah.
0: Well, that answers my next question. I was going to ask about how you stay in a good headspace and like producing, but I think you answered a lot of that. Um, yeah, I well, get- I,
1: I should mention too, like having not like like the way that my personality works, I can't really force myself to do certain tasks or like organize my time in a way where it's like, oh, I'm doing this at that and this about like I have a very like rebellious personality. So even if I'm setting the schedule, I tend to like, you know, procrastinate or whatnot. But um, for me, just like shutting it down at like five or six and then I'm not you know, there's like some sort of a cutoff to it. I feel like helps me a lot. And then also to not like necessarily like worry about what I'm working on when I am working, just showing up and like doing the work, whatever that may be. Like just knowing that I'm like putting in, you know, four or five hours a day, like doesn't really matter what I get done just as long as like I show up and do it. And I feel like that's a, for me, that's like really worked. Like, as opposed to like focusing on like, I got to finish like a song a week or You know, every other day it's like no, just like show up, Hmm. put in the time, clock out, come back the next day.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man, definitely. You know, there's times where you don't feel inspired as a producer, but sometimes you just have to force it. You just have to put in the time and do it anyway, because then sometimes that's how inspiration comes.
1: Is you, yeah, you have to kind of like create your own inspiration, like which was a hard thing for me to figure out too, because like like everybody has that where they're like, Oh, I don't really feel, I don't feel inspired. I'll just wait till I'm inspired. It's like, well, it's not going to like show up, like, unless like you're there putting in the work and there's, there's a really good book called the war of Art by, uh, Stephen Pressfield that talks a lot about that, about just like putting in the hours and basically cultivating the time for the muse to show up, like, as opposed to you waiting to be inspired, like just have, Something set in stone, whether it's like you work an hour on Monday, four hours Tuesday, whatever, as long as you have like a set up time and a place mm-hmm. that you do it, it's like eventually, you know, the muse will come and you'll make something great, but you have to be there for that to happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just having some kind of schedule or rhythm has been really helpful for me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just getting to that flow state of work ethic, whatever you want to call it. Well, I want to respect your time. Uh, I one, one, quick last question, I guess too, but, uh, what, what made you want to become an Ableton certified trainer at the time?
1: I mean, it seemed like, well, I think at the time I was so deep into Ableton and like the deep into using like drum racks and doing all this weird chain stuff with instrument racks. And, um, I think it might've been when I was working at Sweetwater, I like the Ableton guys had come into the to the uh store but i was working back in the warehouse so i kept like trying to like sneak out to like go like see them but they were they i think they had told me they're like yeah have you thought of like being a certified trainer I was like no like what is that they're like oh yeah you know you can like teach lessons and do whatever there's all these like perks and i was like oh okay interesting so part of it was that and then also just like being able to then teach Ableton was like kind of like a job that I could see myself like doing that still gave me like a lot of freedom and also still pertain to like what I was doing. Cause I think, which I'm sure it's the same for you, but the best thing about teaching lessons, like aside from watching people grow and like helping people is that like a lot of times you'll come up with new ideas because you're teaching to someone who has a completely different perspective than you, So they see things differently than you see them and you could be looking at the exact same thing, but they're looking at it from this different angle. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, shit, like I had never thought of it. Yeah. That way. So like, I feel like I get so much out of it, just like on a selfish level, mm-hmm. but also like it's actually helping people and um, they're stoked about it. And it's, and it's so cool to see people like grow into their own and to also give them like advice that is actually helpful to them that they actually want to hear. Cause that's like another thing. Like, I don't know if you've been in the situation where you try to like help someone who clearly doesn't want your help, but like really needs it. Like that's a really, really bad feeling. So to be in a position where people actually want your help and like actually respond to it is like a very, very powerful feeling to have.
0: Completely. I feel the same way. And, uh, I've learned so much more since I started teaching. I really have stretched me in a lot of ways being asked questions I didn't know the answer to maybe initially and be like, I'll get back to you. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah, I mean it's definitely rewarding. Have you had any students that have gone on to, you know, do some really cool music that like you're just really proud of or ever collaborated with or anything like that?
1: I mean, there's a lot of people that are even just like the stuff that some people show me are like, you know, I have a few students who have been with me for almost a year now who were starting from like nothing. To now like finishing songs and like having their own sound and to me that's like the coolest thing because it's like yeah like we have to take a step back like every once in a while i'm like dude like remember when we started this and you didn't even know what audio tracks were yeah. like and then now like look at this like look at what you're doing like yeah that's so cool it's amazing
0: oh that's true i mean even for myself sometimes when i feel like i need some inspiration or i'm discouraged like I had to go clean up my hard drive and I was listening to stuff I started making eight years ago. I'm like, damn, Daniel, you <laughs> came a long way. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I tell people too that a lot that like it's important to, well, first, it's important to finish things because yeah. then you actually have something like from the work that you put in, but it's important to bounce stuff out like regularly and then to go back to that because that's like a, it's almost like a form of journaling. And it's like, especially like you, you said, that's a perfect example of like, if you're feeling super discouraged, like, and if you've been making music long enough and you have that stuff from eight years ago to like, go back to, like, go back and listen to that stuff. Like when you feel like you're a shitty producer and you listen to that, you're like, wow. Okay. Like, yeah, there's been some improvements. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And that's a good, that's a good feeling. You can get yeah. a little pat on your back. And you're like, okay, I'm doing good things. Keep going.
1: Yeah. Cause like, yeah. you don't know how, like, you don't know how much gas you have in your tank and you don't know how far that goes to where, like, you know, what's going to happen eight years from now, if you stick with it, mm-hmm. you're listening to the stuff from 16 years ago and the stuff from eight years ago. And then now you're like, wow, like I've really come a long way. This is like, true. There's, no limit. there's no limit to that. Right. Right.
0: Yeah, totally, man. And, uh, I'm in a place now where I'm wanting to collaborate with more, more with other people. I feel like that stretches me a lot too, Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah,
1: for sure. Just trying to figure out how to like, I mean, almost on a psychological level too, especially if you're working with like a vocalist, like you have to, not to, you know, not to uh, throw vocalists under the bus, but it's like, you got to talk to them in a certain way to kind of get the performance that you want yeah and that's the same with like even collaborating with another producer it's like there's a lot of uh psychological hurdles you have to kind of like manage to get around in order to get like you know the best out of someone and how to talk to them and and also how to collab like how to like step back when it's time to step back and how to jump in like when it's time to jump in which is it's tough to manage all that for sure
0: oh that's really true that's something that's not talked about a lot as a producer is I feel like in the studio, especially like you said, working with vocals, there's been moments where I felt like more of a life coach than I did a producer at the time.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Especially, you know, vocals, it's it's very special because it's like, it's not like if you're bad at guitar or like if your guitar sounds like crap and it's like, well, I just need to change the strings or like, yeah, tune it up, get a new guitar. It's like with vocals, it's like, that's you like that's that person like that is their soul basically like emanating like a vocal form so it's like you have to you know and everybody's different too so it's like some people you could tell it's like dude that fucking sucked like you need to like do that again but other people you have to be like well that was like really great but like let's try something a little different and like what you mean let's try it this time
0: right you don't it's want tough. to crush their soul and make them cry in a studio session. It's not going to be a good song.
1: Yeah. But some people respond to having their soul crushed. And they're like, that's what they want. So it's like, you have to know. Yeah. You have to know who you're dealing with.
0: Yeah. That's good advice, man. It's good stuff. Let's close out. Maybe you can share out a couple upcoming projects that you have. Shameless plug for any releases or things that you want people to know about.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, we don't have any like scheduled releases at this point, but there's, I've just been finishing like so much stuff, um, over the last few months and stuff that I was working on last year and then trying, you know, that's the weird thing about getting into modular is that I feel like it's taken me a year just to like figure out how to manage all this stuff and like actually make useful sounds. Like there's some really weird stuff that I was like making where it's like, there's no drums it's, like, very, like, music concrete, like, weird wind sounds with, like, marimbas, like, all, like, mental nice. stuff. That's cool. Uh, yeah, which is fun, but, um, yeah, I've been working on a bunch of stuff, a bunch of more dancey stuff. I've been really, really, really inspired by um, Afro House and a lot of that music that's been coming out, like, over the last few years, so I've been trying to figure out how to, like, have that influence with still some, like, funky stuff, but then work the modular in there and some like live bass and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it's all kind of starting to come together. So I don't, I don't have any planned releases at this point, but there's a bunch of music that's like kind of ready to go. Awesome. Um, No shameless plugs, unfortunately.
0: Well, I'm going to include links in the show notes, like usual everyone. So scroll there, follow kill Paris. Thanks Corey for hanging out. It's good chilling with you, man. And, uh, Yeah, dude, looking forward to upcoming releases and all the goodness you're going to share with the world in the near future. Congratulations on selling out Red Rocks in like two minutes or whatever that was. And uh, yeah, Yeah. for sure. Uh, We'll be in touch. And um, yeah, man.
1: Sounds good, man. Catch you later. Thanks.
0: Yo, thanks everybody for checking out the podcast. Quick reminder, if you want to grab my free Ableton Live 11 shortcuts, go to liveproducersonline.com slash live11shortcuts and download it for free. Also, you will be subscribed to the newsletter, so you'll receive emails and be the first to know when new podcast episodes come out and other cool stuff. Also, if you want to purchase Ableton Live 11, I'd be glad to hook you up with a discount. Just go to liveproducersonline.com slash buyableton. Big thanks to Melodics and Audient for making this episode happen, and I will see all of you next time.